Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we are fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Caitlin, and if I were going to wait in line forever for something, it would probably involve pastry. I'm Cameron, and apparently I'm going next, and I would wait in line forever for... I'm just going to go with superpowers. That is a good one. Nice. I'm Ben, and if I had to wait in line forever for anything, it would probably be... Harry Potter world, which I've already done, but I would do it again. So, Oh, I'm going to have to jump on your bandwagon there, Ben. This is Amy. And I, if I was going to wait in line for anything forever, it would be to go to Harry Potter world in London, which I would really die to go to. As you may have noticed, we have two guests this week. We have longtime contributor Ben Grange, who is an agent at the L. Perkins Agency, and a first-time guest on the show, Amy Jameson of A Plus B Works. We are so excited to have you guys on the show. Thanks for coming. And we're going to talk about what goes into a good query this week. Do one of you guys want to jump on that? What's a query letter? A query letter for all of you aspiring authors out there is how you get an agent, basically. You need to contact an agent. You need to tell them who you are, what you're writing, and um, that's your introduction to an agent so that they can know whether or not they want to read your book. It's basically a sales pitch. So I've only seen this from the author side, and so I'm assuming we'll probably argue about everything, but please listen to the agents because, you know, they do more of this than I do. The basic query has three parts. It has an opening where you tell an agent why you're querying them, you know, like because they represent sci-fi or because you met them at a conference or whatever, and it should include the title of your book and the genre. There's the meaty middle part that's about 250-word pitch where you cram your whole huge book into, you know, a couple paragraphs. It's supposed to be just one, isn't it? I never followed that rule. It's different. Everybody has different expectations slash desires of what they want to see. I really like white space, and so... Well, white space makes it easier to read. The last little bit that you put in is an introduction to you, your writing bio. So I just want to throw this out to you guys. What... Do you want to see in that opening paragraph? What is it that you like and what are things that you really don't like? This is something that everybody does and I really don't like it. It's basically people quoting my manuscript wishlist page to me because it's like wasted space for them. I mean, it's great that you're aware of why we are a good match as an author and as an agent, but I already know what I like to see, and what I like to read. So you don't have to tell me again in your query letter. It's just like you've got three lines of space at the top of your query, and if you use two of them to, like, tell me what you saw on my manuscript wishlist page, like, that is wasted, wasted space. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the best things you can do in that first paragraph is to give me some reason to keep reading. Mm -hmm. So... What's the hook? I want to get to that fairly quickly because really, I'm sure Ben experiences this too. You just, you see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these letters. And after a while, they all do kind of blend together in a sense. Mm -hmm. So when somebody stands out with something that's really fabulous, that's where you want to hook them right, right from the get go. Yeah, absolutely. And those kind of go hand in hand. Like if you're quoting me, my manuscript wishlist page, you're not hooking me. If you can distill your entire book into an elevator pitch, that is a great place to put it. Just like right at the top, one sentence hook as, as like why I should be interested in your story. So you're saying there shouldn't be an opening part 
that you'd like to see all of the, this is why I'm querying you in particular stuff, like at the end or somewhere else? I mean, like, I don't necessarily even need to see a this is why I'm querying you. Mm. Because, like, that's, I mean, that's apparent in the query itself. Like, you sent me a query because you want me to be your agent. Like, that is apparent. And, like, if you put in your first paragraph, like, this is a middle grade fantasy with 40,000 words, I already know that that is my wish list right there. You don't have to tell me why you're pitching me. You can show me why you're pitching me by just showing me what, like, the specs of your book are. I do think that there is something to be said for being pretty upfront about what you're pitching to. One thing that really bugs me is when I have to read at least three paragraphs to even get to the part where I find out, is this YA? Is this middle grade? Are we even talking about the right categories? Because I get pitched stuff Mm -hmm. all the time that's for adults. And so I want to know right up front what it is so that I know whether or not I should delete you because you haven't done your homework and found out that I don't represent adult books, especially erotica. Thank you. And um, I can't tell you how many of those I get. Um, But it just tells me something about you when I get something from you that is not in my wheelhouse and you haven't even done the most basic search to find out that. So you're saying keep it simple. Like, I know you like sci-fi, so here's my 3,500-word sci-fi middle grade book. Yeah. Uh, But like, I mean, just sorry, I want to interject something like right at the beginning of this conversation here is that every agent has different expectations of what they want to see in a query and different tastes and different ways that they read. And so the things that we're saying right here, especially for me and Amy, those are our preferences. And my preferences are going to be different than Amy's and Amy's preferences are going to be different from every other agent out there. Just we are all different and we all have different tastes. And so that's another big reason why you should do your homework and and find out how we like to be pitched. It's true. When I was querying, I remember looking at agent bios and being like, oh, this person only wants like a two paragraph pitch. I don't even get to use my query letter or like this person wants to know more about me at the end. You know, like it, it varies a whole lot. And usually if agents are feeling really excited and passionate about structure and how they want their query, it says very specifically in their submission guidelines what it is that they want. And that's something that I find a lot of authors try to sort of do this in a quick quick and easy way in which they're clearly sending multiple submissions. So <laughs> unfortunately, that's not usually the best way to get an agent because you can usually tell. Often you'll get something that like has, you know, dear somebody else's name on it. Yeah, <laughs> I've that gotten that a lot. lot. <laughs> or the poor souls who like don't know how to use a blind copy and put CC like every single agent that has ever been on the internet. And, you know, you've got like a hundred people on there that they've sent it to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are all pretty rookie mistakes, but please don't do that. <laughs> it's a surefire way to not get an agent. Okay, well, let's talk about, I want to get into the the meaty, let's actually talk about queries themselves and how to write a good one. Because I would like this to be helpful to authors who are actually trying to find out, like, what is it that would work the best? How could I structure this? How can I, what are the things that are most important to agents to know about? For you guys, what is it that you are looking for in a query? I think one thing that I really like in a query, besides just the obvious, you know, a really tight pitch that gives me all the information I need and also really hooks hooks me and basically like something that you'd read on the back of a book something that would draw a reader to immediately want to pick it up and read it right that's basic um, but I especially like knowing something about that person because for me 
my clients become my good friends and I want to know that I'm working with somebody who I want to be friends with. So something about you that is interesting or different or sets you apart is always nice. I think that shows some personality. And it's one of the hardest things I think in a query letter because it's, it tends to be a very formal businessy type letter. So it's a tough thing to ask, but I think those authors who can do it well and can actually get their voice into their query letter, those are the ones that I am much more drawn to. I completely agree. Like if you can get your voice into the pitch, that is huge because a lot of them just come across dry because it's like at the end of the day, like I said before, this is a sales pitch and, you know, business memos aren't necessarily the most engaging of things. So if you can get the voice across in your pitch, that's a very good thing. Okay. So we're talking about two different kinds of voice though. We have like the book voice and tone, and then we have like the author's voice themselves. The, the body of your query should definitely have like your book's voice and feeling. I, I remember my friend Erin was talking about this at FanX. She said that she queried a different book than she had actually written. Their query was super upbeat and funny and silly. And she knew that people liked to listen to the voice that was in the query, but her book itself was really serious. Yep. And so people will request the book and be like, these two are two totally different things. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to read the book that w- that query was if, for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that if there's a tonal shift in the query itself and the manuscript, then there's going to be a problem. Okay, but you're also talking about you want to hear the voice and the tone of the book itself in the query, but you also want to hear the author's voice and what kind of person they are, like when they talk about themselves. So no pressure. It has to be perfect, and it has to have your entire personality and an entire book in it. Let me give you an example just for for, for perspective here because I do feel like what when you talk in these broad generalities, it is does feel like, oh, my gosh, this is impossible. I'll never be able to write a good query. Um, the one that I always use when I go to conferences is a query letter that I, I did end up taking on this project. And cute girl, she the, one of the last lines in it basically said, you know, here's a little bit about me. I'm a children's librarian from Akron, Ohio, and I wrote almost this entire manuscript in my parents' basement. Like she had like three little things that I thought, oh, that's perfect. Like I totally love that you're a children's librarian. That tells me a lot about you. And that's actually a really great selling point as an author, I think. And then just this little bit of a sense of humor about herself, like kind of poking fun at herself, which I thought was just a nice little nod to, okay, you're a cool person. I want to I want to do something with you. So I actually want to get into like that pitch part of it. When I was querying, I tried really hard. Like the the three things that I really wanted to put into my query was the character, kind of like who they were, the thing that they wanted, why they wanted it, and what would happen to them if they didn't get it, and what was in their way. And then to end with like a cliffhanger. I've heard people talk about queries as, you know, like that jacket copy, the the back of a book or the inside flap of a book, where you want to leave your reader, who in this case is an agent, on a cliffhanger. So they want to find out what happening, what is going to happen next. And for me, that cliffhanger tended to be the inciting incident and then the fallout from the inciting incident. Yeah, you basically just described a perfect query. Like I, when I, when people normally ask me what they want to see in the pitch, I always tell them that you have to tell me your character, you have to tell me what this character is working towards, and you have to get at the stakes. Like what is going to happen if your character does not get what they want, or what they're working towards, or etc. Um, because if there are no stakes in your query, I'm going to assume that you haven't really defined them in your novel. 
And if you haven't defined your stakes in your novel, it's probably not too exciting from a genre standpoint, like from fantasy or science fiction or suspense or horror or, or things like that. If you haven't defined the stakes, then the types of books that I'm representing and that I'm looking for, they don't work without high stakes or without at least defined stakes. And so if you don't know what those are and you can't put them in your query, it probably means you haven't developed them fully in your novel and you need to do that before you query. I think that's a, a fairly good structure to use. I think there are cases in which there's not necessarily like a huge cliffhanger. And I think especially when you're talking maybe about more middle grade novels, not, you know, just straight up contemporary family stories and things like that, that the stakes are not as high, perhaps, in the sense like, you know, the right. world's not going to end, the wizard's not going to, you know, kill everybody or whatever it is in a fantasy novel or sci-fi. But I do think that getting a sense of what I want to know is kind of the feel of the book. And I think that's, again, a voice thing for me. I'm a big voice person, though. Well, I think most people are. I mean, you read a book because it's fun to read or interesting to read or it makes you think. And I think voice does all of those things. Um, so what would you say, what's good advice to authors who are trying to make the voice of their, their query stand out? How do you do that? That's a hard one to say, I think. I think an author who knows how to do voice well will know how to do it well in a query. Honestly, I think it's something that a lot of beginner writers do struggle with. And voice is something that's tough to develop, I find. It's, it's often it's you got it or you don't. So I would add to that that you can develop it. And it's something that you can learn about yourself. Your voice, it's there, it's inside you, and, and you can grow, and you can develop, and you can improve. Um, so just because somebody says that this specific piece does not have a unique voice does not mean that you yourself don't have a unique voice. And I think that's something that's very, very important to get across whenever we talk about voice on a craft level, because everybody does have a unique voice, and everybody can develop that voice. I would also argue that if your book has an amazing voice, that doesn't mean that you're going to be really good at getting it across in a query letter. Because writing a book and writing a query letter are two totally different skills. And some advice that I've given authors, I've taught a class on elevator pitches a while ago that I think applies to queries too, is a lot of times it's your choice of vocabulary. Like if you are looking at your book and your character really, really likes I don't know, to eat candy or something, and they talk about candy in their book all the time, and they make candy analogies, then it'd be really important to have that come out in your query, I think. Maybe not to, like, waste a bunch of space on it, but maybe to say, like, this main character wants to get an A on her test as much as she wants a Snickers bar in her back pocket or something like that, where if you can get those little tiny things that, that set your writing apart into your query by choosing your vocabulary and, your, and the structure of your sentences wisely, then that's what's going to set your query apart. You don't want it to come across like a business memo. You want it to come across like a, a tiny snippet of what it is the agent is, is going to take on. Something to consider, a lot of the time agents will use the query that you sent them to try to sell it to editors. Um, so if you write a an, a an amazing query, then me as an agent, I'm going to probably want to use that same query, or at least pieces of it, to try to sell it to an editor. So a lot of what sells your book to an agent is also what sells a book to a publisher. So get down to the nitty-gritty of what happens in your book. 
who your characters are, what they want, the obstacles that they face, um, what's at stake, and and really just the the feel and the voice of the project. If like if you can get all of that across in you know 250 words, then you have a good query. Awesome. Well, I think that's a really good place to move on to the next section of the podcast. This is the part where we critique work from listeners. We're doing something a little different this week. We had you submit query letters instead of first chapters. So I chose a few of those, and I'm going to read them out loud. And our guests are going to give us gut reactions to these query letters, things that they like, things that would make them put them in the reject folder or hit delete, as somebody said, I believe. (laughs) Just so you know, if you would like a first chapter critique in the future, you can see our submission guidelines on our website, which is litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. And we will start doing first chapters again for our next episode. So the first query, you guys get ready. Lizzie is determined to be the next editor of her school newspaper. The only thing standing in her way is the ghost of the girl who, had, who last had the job. Lizzie is a 12-year-old with big dreams of becoming a photojournalist. To start padding her resume, she wants to be the editor of the elementary school paper, just like her mom was. The only problem is the paper shut down back in the 90s. But that's no problem for a near genius like Lizzie. Once she convinces the school to reinstate the paper, she'll be the obvious choice for the editor. For editor. When a strange girl keeps reappearing in Lizzie's photographs at school, she puts her investigative skills to work. Lizzie is led to a case from 1993 when the last editor of the school paper, Tiffany Williams, disappeared. Tiffany's old school portrait looks just like the girl in the photos. Lizzie dives into the case but keeps hitting roadblocks. All the adults who were around when Tiffany disappeared refuse to talk about it. Lizzie is sure... Tiffany was murdered and is now haunting the school. If she can discover what really happened to Tiffany, it will be the biggest scoop of her life. But before she has a chance to crack the case, the job of editor is given to one of her best friends. Fueled by all the rage a sixth grader can hold, Lizzie is more determined than ever to solve the murder. Free Tiffany's spirit and get back to the job that should have been hers. Portrait of a Dead Girl is 34,000 words, a middle grade novel. I'm a photographer and I would love to include photos to enhance the story, although text can stand, the text can stand alone. Thank you for your time and consideration. I really like this pitch quite a bit. Um, I love the first couple of lines. I think that really draws you in. That's a perfect hook. And it's something that I think the further along it goes, I start getting slightly more concerned about it, actually. I almost think that maybe you've overtold the story a bit. I like it a little bit more open-ended. Once we get into murders and we're talking about middle grade, I always go, eh, that's maybe a little bit intense for a sixth grader to be taking on. I think different agents would feel differently about that. But for me, that's a bit of a little warning light. So I would be more likely to request it if you didn't tell me that part of it. And maybe you'd be able to convince me through the manuscript rather than through the pitch. Mm-hmm. And I love the bit at the end, actually, with the photographs. I think that's actually a really smart thing, given how important visuals are for middle grade, even though it'll depend on what the visuals are. But I think just the fact that you're thinking that way about visuals for your book is interesting. I agree with Amy on a lot of that. I loved the first line. I normally do like to have the uh, title and the word count and the genre up at the top. The story sounds Really fun. I also really agree with Amy on the fact that it sounds a little bit old. I would totally read this book if it were a YA. I'm not sure if I would read this book as a middle grade murder mystery style story. Again, like Amy said, if you can convince me through the writing that this is how the story is supposed to be told, then that's great. But based on this pitch, it sounds like this is... A younger person trying to take on the job of somebody who is supposed to be older and therefore 
probably pass on it, even though I think the story itself sounds fun and sounds a little bit creepy, which are all things that I like. When I was reading this one, I love that opening pitch, just like you guys said. I mean, the Mm -hmm. only thing standing in her way is the ghost of the girl who last had the job. I love that. And I I, I feel like it got a little bit muddier in, in the next, in like in the third paragraph where I was, it, it got away from the ghost, and that's that's what I was mostly interested in. I think so, too. Query number two. As the daughter of a doomsday prepper, Mara has always been raised to prepare for the end of the world. Brought up with a basement full of canned goods and an exit strategy. I like that. Mara has retreated into herself, friendless and anxiety-ridden. She is in the midst of planning her escape from her family when tragedy strikes, and her father is killed in an accident. Clinging to her remaining parent, Mara agrees to one of her mother's crazy plans to move to a luxury survivalist condo 100 feet below ground. While Mara only promises a month's trial, she's surprised to find a place to belong there. Welcomed by a religious youth group and a close new friend, Mara acclimates to her surroundings but still feels the pull of the real world and her beloved woods that she left behind. After a terror attack, the leaders of the bunker prepare to seal off permanently from society. Mara continues to contend with her anxiety while trying to figure out how to get out, but there are secrets lurking above the surface that threaten her family and everyone else underground. With the complicated questions of faith and fabulism of a psalm for lost girls and the survivalist family dynamics of educated girl underground is a 67,000-word contemporary YA that explores faith, mental illness, American extremism, and the need for belonging with a touch of magical realism. Mara's journey will resonate with readers looking for an unconventional heroine. Heroine? I can never figure out how to say that one. And and a setting they may never have seen before unless they read this article, and there's a link. I'm currently the head librarian at the Independent School in northern New Jersey and a former intern for the Bent Agency. I belong to and am an active member of the largest network of independent school librarians who I see as an ideal marketing opportunity for this book. My writing on my personal experiences with mental illness has been published in the Toast and School Library Journal and other work on parenting has appeared on Lit Hub and the Washington Post. I look forward to sending you the manuscript upon request. I also really like this one. I loved educated and when you, you know, when you can make a good comparison to something that's happening in, you know, like the one of the top books of the last year, that's a great way to go. I think it's a, a really well-written query in terms of the outline of the plot. It definitely makes me intrigued by, you know, what's going on down there a hundred feet underground in your luxury condo. And I I do like the personal information that she included with that. That's all really appealing. Her library connections, her own voices in a sense, experience with mental health issues, all of that is really great. I would totally request that. I agree with Amy on a lot of this stuff. I really liked the paragraph that explained the story. It's very unique, very, very interesting. And I really like the character details that you were able to get across. Talking about anxiety, personally struggling with that in my life, I'm automatically connected to this character. While I don't have any experience prepping for Doomsday, it raises very interesting questions about her life and who she is and how she behaves. And so it's you've got a really good dynamic here in the first paragraph talking about your character. Yeah, so I thought there I thought this had a lot of a lot of great qualities. Again, like I said on the last one, the structure of it isn't specifically to my taste. I would love to have the title and the word count and the genre up top, but the way you've structured this actually just it works perfectly fine. I thought that there were some good examples of voice like we were talking about. I really mm-hmm. liked 
brought up with a basement full of canned goods and an exit strategy. Um, I really liked how she left the cliff note at uh, the cliff note. The cliffhanger <laughs> at the end. There are secrets lurking above the circus. The surface. I'm really struggling here. There's no circus in this. The surface that threatened her family and everyone else above ground or underground. Query number three. <laughs> I'm seeking representation for Hidden Beauty, an upside-down retelling of Beauty and the Beast set in ancient Japan where beauty is the beast and Hiroki must rescue the beauty if she doesn't rescue him first. I am sending this query to you because of your interest in fairy tales, new cultures, and girls with swords. Hidden Beauty is where anime joins the traitor's game. American-born Hiroki is fed up with his dad's obsession with Japanese mythology, but when a dragon kidnaps his dad, Hiroki charges through the magic Tori Gate with an ancient sword in hand. On the other side of the gate, Hiroki discovers a beauty imprisoned by an oni, a Japanese demon. The beauty's sister, Kiyoki, Kiyoko, I'm good at Japanese, I'm not, cursed with invisibility, can watch another samurai die, can't watch another samurai die while attempting to rescue her sister, so she vows to change their fate. She guides the newest warrior to the dragon's lair where Hiroki promises to free the beauty in exchange for his father's freedom. Together, Hiroki and Kiyoko fight against time and monsters, to find the key to save Kyoko's beautiful sister, if Hiroki and Kyoko cannot defeat the Oni, their loved ones face eternal imprisonment, true love will die, and the demon will, will rule Japan. Hidden Beauty, a YA fantasy, is complete at 72,000 words and is a standalone novel with serious potential. I've written a book review blog since 2011, and there's a link, which includes author interviews and over 350 book reviews. I'm a member of SCBWI. I received an honorable mention in the Writers of the Future Contest 2019. After visiting Japan, I knew I needed to write a story that wove modern, the modern world into the, past reflecting, into the past reflecting the beautiful city, Kyoto. I was raised on a steady diet of mythology and fairy tales seasoned with a dash of Shakespeare. I always love fairy tales, and I thought the author did a good job of breaking down character and what the characters want and what the characters are working towards here. You've got stakes set up in the third paragraph of the, of the summary, and it's nice and it's neat, and the, the query works uh, really well. On a nitpicky level, like I was saying earlier in the podcast, I think the first paragraph is a little bit clunky because of the reasons I was stating earlier. You don't necessarily need to say why you're sending this to me, because you can show why you're sending this to me by giving me a great query that I'd love to read. As far as... I'm not sure if I'm the, the right person to say this, because I'm a white male, and I don't want to overstep my bounds. Um, I do want to just be a little bit cautious of the subject matter in this. I don't want to state anything that, that could be offensive here. But the YA and middle grade communities in, in publishing are very, very interested in publishing own voices stories lately, especially to allow people of these backgrounds to tell their own stories. And I'm probably butchering this and I'm terribly sorry if I am. But I do want to just caution the author here that if they are not of the same community as, as the book that they're writing in, then I would be very, very wary of sending this out because of the atmosphere of the marketplace right now and how it's seen um, writing a book from the pers perspective of somebody whom you are not. Again, I really do not intend this to be uh, offensive in any way to anyone, and I'm sorry if it comes across that way. The main point here is to be sensitive and to be aware of what's going on in the publishing world and what's being published by whom. So just so people know, we did not put names on these. So, right. and, and a name 
doesn't necessarily tell you what community a person is from necessarily. Right, of course. That is a concern that is definitely there in the publishing industry. And and it's fine. Like visiting Japan and, and wanting to write about Japanese culture is is wonderful and it's amazing. And and we are all part of the same world and we are all part of the human race and we all love to tell stories. And that's how we connect with each other. And we tell stories about our experiences and it's amazing and it's wonderful. The biggest thing I want to get across here is that a lot of cultures have felt oppressed in the publishing industry and have not felt that they have had enough of a say in telling their own stories. And so I'm a very big proponent of allowing them to and bringing them the opportunities to. And so that's why I brought this up. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Amy, do you have thoughts about this query? You know, I found that I got a little lost in all of the telling of the details of it. And I think um, one thing I would suggest is, especially if you're going to compare it to Beauty and the Beast, maybe make those comparisons a little bit more directly in the, the actual description of it. Because I am I had to sit there and really think, like, wait a minute, who's Beauty and who's the Beast and what's happening here? So anyway, I think if you're going to make that comparison, you want to be really clear, like, who's, who's who and how this compares to it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe more, I don't know, to me, it wasn't as appealing because I found myself getting lost in all of the names and all of the smaller details. I'd rather see more of the big picture in, in that query letter. I also agree with Ben that this is, it's tricky right now. And it's unfortunate that I I hate that we have to have this conversation all the time. I wish that we could, you know, we could say that anybody could write any story because they can, but the publishing industry is very, very cautious right now about only publishing things that are really kind of own voices that from people who are from that culture. And so I think you'll find it a challenge if you are not from that culture to to find a, a willing publisher for this, honestly. I, I have a situation with an author mm-hmm. right now who is writing a book set in China, and she's lived in China for 13 years, and she's still getting those kind of, like, what, what makes you qualified to write about this culture kind of questions. So it's just the, the temperature of the, of the industry right now. Honestly, if anybody has questions or concerns about that, like seriously email me. I'm happy to talk to you about anything involving this. So, Yes, and there are lots of relevant conversations happening online right now. I mean, there are lots of resources. We could probably compile some if you want to go read about it. I would agree with Amy here. I think the, about, you know, just back to this query individually. I, I'm sorry. I feel like I kind of derailed the discussion of, you know, critiquing this query and talking about own voices but in the in the mechanics of this query, I think that the author could do a little bit better of a job in, you know, bringing voice into this query because it does come across as a very, very much that business memo that we were talking about earlier. You've got three paragraphs detailing steps getting towards, you know, the, the stakes that you raise in, in the third paragraph. Try to give us a little more character. Like we like we went through this second query up above and it does a, a really good job of discussing and displaying character and who the character is on a, an emotional level and on a deep, deeper level um, rather than just plot points. So if you can manage to capture that in your query, then I think it would really, really help to put it over the top. And just on a um, 
like a word level here. There are some things that are a little bit confusing just because of the way they're phrased. Like, um, this is getting really into the words, which we weren't supposed to do, but I am anyway, sorry. Like in the second paragraph, it says, the beauty sister Kyoko, cursed with invisibility, can't watch another samurai die while attempting to rescue your sister, so she vows to change their fate. And I didn't make the connection that the other samurai is Hiroki, I think. Matter of fact, I'm not. I think that's who that is. And so, like, the the paragraphs don't connect quite yet in a way that makes me understand what's happening in the story. I have to think really hard in order to connect characters to these other names they're being called. And the fact that the beauty doesn't have a name, she's just the beauty, it sounds like an object. And so it's uh, it's weird to, to try to connect to that, I guess. So that's just something to think about. Okay, um, next query, unless we have other thoughts. Okay, let's move on. Last query. When Henry's family relocates from Michigan to the White House, Henry misses living in a place where he felt he mattered. Between the formal ushers and the untouchable antiques, his father's political foes, and the principal who gives him the chills, Washington, D.C. reminds Henry that the only reason he's valuable is because his father is so important. It's something Henry can't forget as a mysterious group of assassins called the Ethereal begin to threaten the president along with his family. No one knows much about them. And the more Henry tries to find out, falling deeper into the dregs of history and intrigue that marked the beginnings of the country, the stranger things become. Henry experiences dreamlike blackouts and inexplicable bursts of strength that he can't replicate at will. Then, with his friend Lucy, he also uncovers information about a plot to use the aging Marine One helicopters to assassinate his father. As long as they keep it a secret, they might have a chance to stop it, but the closer Henry gets to saving his father and the country, the more he begins to wonder if it's really the president at stake or is it something even more powerful. Join us in the speculative sci-fi, in parentheses, upper-middle-grade novel, The Determiner. It has completed 80,000 words. If the lost symbol... Dan Brown married Ender's Game, Orson Scott Card, and had a 13-year-old book child together, it would be the determiner. I am going to be honest here and say that I got lost in the second paragraph while you were reading it. And that is always a big red flag for me. If ever I'm reading something and I get lost in it, I normally tend to just skip it. That said, you did a pretty good job of, after I go back through and reread it, you did a pretty good job of detailing the plot in three paragraphs, keeping it nice and short and succinct and giving us a chance to have the, that, um, the cliffhanger, sorry, <laughs> you did a good job uh, putting that cliffhanger with the stakes in the last paragraph. The paragraph talking about the manuscript itself, the, the title and the word count, it was, it had a funny quip in there that made me laugh. So that was really good. Again, being me and being nitpicky, I would love that at the top just so that I can get a sense of what I'm reading before I start reading it. Well, I will say that I've actually received this query in my actual inbox. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and I have read it. And I actually did request some pages from it. So it was successful in that sense. It's a little hard for me now to even like separate the experience of reading the manuscript from this query. So I feel like maybe I'm not the best person to analyze it, but... I, I will say I was intrigued by the White House setting, and I think that's an interesting, you know, topic for middle grade, especially. I personally didn't love the kind of more sci-fi elements, the fantasy elements of it. I really am much more excited about a more contemporary, you know, realistic uh, story along this line. So for me, that part of it ended up being sort of the thing that made me end up putting it down <laughs> after reading. Mm -hmm. So, but that's just a personal preference thing. 
I will say I feel like it's a little bit on the long side for a query. I don't love having to read all that. I'd rather have it shorter. And I think shorter on the synopsis, like Ben said, is probably better because you do get a little bit lost in there and all those details. I, I actually really do think in general, great advice for authors is one paragraph uh, giving us this the sort of you know, the plot and then the cliffhanger. And you don't have to tell us what happens because it's actually sometimes better not to know. I feel like I got lost in that second paragraph because there's like a bunch of elements that are all thrown in. And something that I found when I was writing queries is that if I focused on one, even if there are more in the actual book, that's why I had, you know, a hundred, I write YA, so it's a little different. I had a hundred thousand words to explore all of those things. But in the query, I just needed enough to give the flavor of the book to know like one of the plot pieces rather than all of them. Yeah. So, I mean, in this, we have the ethereal and the president's in danger, and then there's history and intrigue, and then there's blackout like dreams and strength, and there's just a lot in that paragraph when mm -hmm. you could probably dial it back just a little bit. Okay, do we have any other thoughts about this? Just on a nitpicky level, like, if you're going to say speculative, you don't need to have sci-fi in parentheses afterwards. So I would either just, like, say sci-fi or speculative, either or. And then... On a, on a, uh, word count level, I think this is, as an 80,000 word manuscript, way over the limit for a middle grade. When I'm looking at a middle grade book, if I see somebody sending me a middle grade book, it has to be a lot shorter than that. Like, you're pressing your luck if you're sending me a 70,000 word middle grade book. 60,000 words is max. And if you've got more than that, I'm just gonna say, like, this needs to be way shorter for the attention span of an 8 to 12 year old. Especially, like, I'm assuming this is targeted to boys who stereotypically, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to be stereotypical. Um, they, they tend to have shorter attention spans. So that long of a book can be daunting to a, to a middle grade boy. Anyway, just, just things that are, that I'm thinking off the top of my head that absolutely go into me deciding on whether I should request a manuscript or not. I think something to remember, and that I'm glad both of you have said something along the lines of this. Um, Amy, you mentioned that the sci-fi elements are what put you off when you actually read the manuscript, and Ben, you're saying, I think, generally speaking, word count with middle grade, you probably don't want to be up in 80,000, and most no. agents will see that as kind of a red flag. But I think you said some other things for things that were not quite for you. I want to just say that if an agent rejects your manuscript, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that it's not like the shiny unicorn of a book that an agent is going to take on. Because I feel like like if you think about all of the books that are your favorite books that you reread over and over and over again, that the pages are bent because you love it so much, those are the books that agents want to take on. It's not the ones that they kind of like or that are okay. It's the one that really sticks with them and that they love a lot. And, and every agent is going to have a different favorite query or manuscript or whatever that they read the same way you have different favorite books than other people. Oh, no, you that is what that is spot on. I agree. That's really true. And I think what you have to think about is like, you know, maybe your manuscript just needs to change in some way. So, for example, in this one, it probably just has a, the the plot is too complicated for a middle grade novel. It needs to lose some elements of that and it needs to be shrunk by 25,000 words. I think your point is a really good one, Caitlin, that rejection doesn't mean, oh, you're a terrible writer, you better just give it up right now. And I think and what you have to learn in this business is that rejection is part of the process. It will always be part of the process. It's the part of the process for agents as well. We experience rejection constantly. 
And if you give up after a couple or a hundred rejections, then you might not make it, right? So you just have to keep going and you have to think about what can I change? What is, you know, what's really holding this manuscript back or this query back? I also want to say that the um, cycle of rejection does not stop after you are published because all you have to do is stroll through like any Goodreads profile of any book to see that a lot of people don't like everything. I mean, it's, you're always going to have people saying that they don't want it or don't want to read more or whatever. It never goes away. And so if you don't have a thick skin, maybe consider doing something else. But that's a horrible thing to say. Just just think that think about it in terms of um, of the way you see books. And some books aren't your favorite. And your book can't be everybody's favorite. But it will be somebody's favorite and it only takes one. And on that note, I'm going to close things down for today. Thank you so much, Ben and Amy, for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and being here. Thanks so much. It's fun to be here. Yeah. Happy to be here. And our next episode will have special guest Nikki Palprito, the author of the epic YA fantasy Crown of Feathers. If you would like a first chapter critique from Nikki and the rest of the podcasters, check out submission guidelines on our website. Remember, you can watch the video. Well, probably can't watch the video feed of this one, actually. But you can listen to our... (laughs) You can listen to our um, podcast wherever you get your podcasts on whatever app. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us ratings, reviews, and comments. It helps us helps others to find the show. If you would like to ask us questions or complain about life, the world, and everything, you can find us on Twitter at LitService or on Facebook and Instagram as at LitService Podcast, or you can email us at LitServicePodcast at gmail.com. LitService is brought to you by Writers Clearinghouse. Writers Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts to tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. For Lit Service, thank you for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.